with the uh, advent of media, uh, news around the world became a lot easier to disseminate and give to the broader public. In fact, you can find media and news about all sorts of trivial, weird things all over the world. And one of the things that that media gives to you is the sense that the world is a very large and chaotic place. And it also conveys to us this realization that we control very little. And it can seem like the whole world is simply just out of our control, that things happen to us, that we are the victim of events that happen to us, and we can almost do nothing in order to solve things. And in a real sense, that is true. I mean, we look at what's happening in Ukraine, and there are all sorts of different opinions about that issue and what's happening there. But at the very least, we have pretty much no control over what's happening. It's just happening. We react to it in our different ways, but our reactions are largely meaningless. They don't really do anything. What happens when you are stuck in events that you can't control? In fact, if we're realistic, there's actually very little we can control. In our lives, there are certain situations, there are relationships, there are people, we just can't control it. And often, we stress ourselves silly with anxiety and with all sorts of feelings of insecurity as we try to wrestle things back into our control, not realizing that we had very little control in the first place. What we see here today in Genesis 40 is a man who is abundantly clever. He can accomplish many things. God gives him favor. And yet, many things are just simply out of his control. And we can learn from him as a man who was in control of a lot of things, and in many ways wasn't, and how we can deal with that and rest in the promises and security of God. So I've got three points that I want to share with you guys from Genesis chapter 40. My first point is we're going to be looking at the prisoners. My second point, we're going to be looking at the interpretation. And my third point, we're going to be looking at the forgotten man. So we're going to get into it. Genesis 40 from verse 1. Some time after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with these two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Well, we're back in the story of Joseph, right where we left him, and we remember where we left him, in prison. Falsely accused of attempted assault. In each scenario, Joseph has proved himself blameless. He didn't do anything to warrant being sold into slavery by his brothers. He didn't do anything to uh, Potiphar's wife. It was just the lust of an immoral woman that put him there. It was the jealousy of his brothers that ended up with him in slavery. He was a victim in both cases. And yet what is amazing about Joseph is that he refused to be a victim. He refused to act like a victim and play the victim. He never complained from what we see. He never moaned. He never cried about what happened to him. Instead, he rolled up his sleeves and he got to work. 
And in a world like ours, where everyone wants to be the victim, this is a powerful statement to us, isn't it? It's a very different culture, a very different work ethic. God had blessed Joseph's labors. And at this point, he's running the prison as a prisoner. It's quite impressive, isn't it? So good was he at management and leadership that the prison warden decided that he'd give most of the prison duties to Joseph because he just did it so well. And so he sat back, he relaxed, he was drinking iced tea while Joseph, as a prisoner, was running around managing all the other prisoners that were in the prison. And Joseph's got some new inmates. We've got the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. Now, you might be thinking, what is a cupbearer? Well, it was a prestigious position given to the man that was to taste the wine of Pharaoh before he drank it. You might be thinking, who wants to share a cup with some other dude? Well, if you were a ruler or a king, you were often the victim of many assassination attempts, and the best way to assassinate a king is to slip a little bit of something-something in his wine. And so what you'd have instead was someone else take the first sip of the wine. If it's poison, he'll drop dead, and you'll be okay. And that's how many kings got around it. But you'd think the cupbearer position was for like some lowly slave, right? Their life is dispensable. You bring them in, they drink it, they fall dead. No matter. But that's not what happened in the ancient cultures. To be the king's cupbearer was to be one of the highest officials in the land. It was a position given to only the most prestigious of men. What we have here is a man of renown imprisoned next to Joseph. And the next man is the chief baker. And like the cupbearer, he was responsible for uh, the food and making sure that the food was clean, there was no poison in it, that it was all prepared well, that it wasn't dirty, there was no germs in it, that we're going to get the king sick. It was a, a place of high honor as well. And these men were put into Joseph's care by the captain of the guard. Do you remember who the captain of the guard was? Potiphar, his old master that had put him in prison. Over time... Joseph had won the favor of Potiphar. Remember the guy who thought that he was making moves on his wife? Was the same guy that he seems to have won the favor back from. But it didn't mean that he was going to get out of prison. Joseph and Potiphar may have been best buddies, but if Joseph got let out, guess what that what does that mean about Potiphar's wife? Either it means she's a liar. It's disgraceful. You couldn't do that. I'm sure Potiphar, knowing his wife, has this nagging suspicion that maybe, just maybe, Joseph was actually true to him. And Joseph was the man of integrity that he thought he was. Now, we're not sure what the cupbearer or the baker did. We don't know how they offended Pharaoh. They displeased him. He was angry with them. So he put them in prison and they were there for some time. Ancient rulers were notoriously arbitrary and cruel. Really, they could have just looked at Pharaoh wrong. He could have woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He could have been mad or upset or angry that day. And he thought, you know what? I want to take out this aggression. I'm just going to direct it at the first person that looks at me wrong. And who was it? The cupbearer and the baker as they brought him his morning breakfast. Who knows what happened? Uh, But ancient rulers were like this. It it was said of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 5.19. This is what it said about him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. This is the reality of what it was like to sit under the rule of one of these ancient men. They were paranoid, sensitive, dangerous, and they often imprisoned and killed whoever they wanted for whatever reason they wanted. 
This was a dangerous spot to be in for these two men, imprisoned with Pharaoh angry at them. Do you know what that usually means when Pharaoh is angry at you and you're in prison? Something bad. You're probably going to end up without a head. Joseph is running the prison basically as a prisoner. We remember this. But he didn't lord it over his fellow inmates. He didn't mistreat. He didn't belittle people. Instead, he notices in these two men that something is troubling them. Now, he could have just laughed at them and thought, look at those guys, something bad's going to happen to them. But he doesn't do that. He goes over to them. He asks them what's wrong. He has compassion on them, really. They both had dreams. And these dreams were not like normal dreams. We've all had some weird dreams. And one of the most annoying weird thing is when someone wants to tell you about their dream. And it's just like, all right, come on. You know, Gary usually tells us like, you were in there, but it wasn't you. And you were in this place, but it wasn't that place. Now, it wasn't those kind of dreams. And sometimes we've even had the vivid dream, right? Where we remember every detail, even the way something smelt or tasted. But this went even beyond those kind of dreams. This was a vision from God in the night given to these men, and it troubled them. When you have these kind of dreams, if a dream comes from God in this way, it will mess you up. You won't be able to get it out of your head. It will be replaying in your head over and over and over again until you find an interpretation. What does this mean? Why do I have this dream? And these men are obviously just super troubled by it. These dreams come from God. They knew what they were seeing were more than just a sleepless night or an overactive imagination. And it's just a good reminder that God can make use of our minds as he sees fit. Remember, your brain doesn't have a no trespassing sign on it that God comes over. It's like, oh, not allowed to go in there, not allowed to uh, meddle with that person if I want to. No, God, the king, the, the heart of a king is like a stream in his hand. He directs it wherever he wills. And God can change and use our minds as he sees fit and whoever he sees fit. He gives these dreams to these two pagan men, these two non-believing men. We're going to see a dream given to Pharaoh. We're going to see a dream, if you read Daniel, given to all sorts of people. God gives them to whom he will, when he wills. And so they tell Joseph of their dream. And they're worried because there is no one to help them interpret them. They don't know what they mean. And it is bugging them. And they desperately want to know what's happened, why it happened, what it means. And Joseph knows that there is only one person who can make sense of this. And it is not him. It is God. God is the only being who can interpret it because he is the only being who gave them that dream in the first place. And so Joseph immediately says, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. And he gives glory to God because all true interpretations come from the God of truth. If Joseph just gave them his opinion, then it wouldn't really matter. But he doesn't just give them his his opinion. God reveals it to him, and he reveals mysteries as he wills, and he can keep things hidden as he wills. Us in our Western culture, we love having all the answers right now. In fact, a classic thing that happens with me and Beck is we'll be talking and be like, oh, what about this thing? How does this thing work? And I'll be like, oh, quick, get my phone out, Google it, find the answer straight away. We're used to getting answers right now. But just know this, God doesn't owe you any answers. He doesn't owe you any truth. He doesn't owe anything, really. He reveals as he wills. And so how gracious and good is God to reveal truth to us? 
Only God can declare the ends from the beginnings. Only God knows the future. And only God can give you certainty in an uncertain world. Remember that, because you'll be tempted to feel very uncertain, and for good reason. But God is the only certain thing. God is gracious to all these men, and he gives Joseph the meaning of the dreams. My second point, the interpretation. Let's get back into the text, verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dreams there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing wrong that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. The first dream, this man is standing before a vine and the vine is flourishing as if time was just going at a crazy speed and he's watching this grape vine kind of flourish right before his eyes. And he grabs a bundle of grapes and he squeezes them into the cup of Pharaoh and he places it in his hands. It's a weird dream, but it's been troubling him. Just the way that the dream was. It wasn't a normal dream. It was something that just ruined his brain, I guess, for the last few days that he's been pondering. And in that moment, God gives Joseph the precise interpretation, the precise words to say, three days will pass in prison and Pharaoh will bring the cupbearer back into service as before. And Joseph sees this opportunity to get himself out of prison. This is his opportunity to get himself out of his situation. And he asks the cupbearer, please mention me to Pharaoh. Do me this kindness. Mention me. Get me out of here. I've been here for a long time. He's been there ultimately for 13 years. He will serve as a slave and in prison. He knows he's innocent. He was stolen out of his homeland. That is a serious crime. Man stealing is a serious crime. Joseph is hoping that this is his lucky break. The moment when things start to look up for him, he can be a free man again. But what is remarkable about Joseph here is that not once does he speak ill of anyone in that. I'll tell you what I said. My wretched, wicked brothers stole me out of my father's land and I just can't wait till I can get out and get my revenge. That's what I would say. Potiphar's wife is a liar. She accused me of something that I didn't do. I spent days uh, trying to get rid of her advances. I didn't want her anywhere near me. And look what she's done to me. He could have said that. But he doesn't. He doesn't blame anyone. The time that Joseph has spent in slavery and prison has matured him. It's humbled him. He no longer harbors ill will and revenge against people that he very well could have. 
And we would understand it. In fact, we probably would blame them. But Joseph just wants to be free. And the chief baker is listening carefully. And he sees that as a favorable interpretation. He's like, oh, this is going good. These dreams are turning out to be good. This might work out the same way for me. And so he shares his dream. He's hoping that Joseph is going to say, in three days, Pharaoh will be eating your bread again. It's not what he says, is it? He's got three baskets balancing on his head. The top basket has all the broader way of baked goods that this guy knows how to cook with such uh, expertise, and yet birds are eating out of it. The bread meant for Pharaoh is being eaten by birds. And we see just as a cupbearer, this number of three symbolized three days, but a very different outcome. Pharaoh was going to show mercy to one and judgment to the other. Pharaoh would lift up his head from him and hang him on a tree to be eaten by birds. What a way to go, hey? The baker would not receive the same mercy as the cupbearer. He would fall victim to the bloodthirsty, indiscriminate justice of an ancient king. Imagine being that baker after getting that. He's got three long days to know his fate. At least he has some level of preparation. There he is awaiting his doom. But praise be to God that he does not rule like Pharaoh. Praise be to God that he is not like the rulers that we have, that change their opinions at a moment's notice, that uh, flip-flop all over the place, that are completely unreliable and uncertain. God is certain. Psalm 9, 7-8 says, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world in righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. God does not judge arbitrarily or unjustly. He doesn't delight in the judgment of the wicked, nor does he allow them to fall into hell without many warnings. God loves us. He desires to show mercy to all who humble themselves before him. He sends many people to us. His word warns us and counsels us that we are headed in the wrong direction and that we need to repent and turn to him. And we know that for those who are in Jesus, they will never be forgotten or abandoned or even hung on a tree like the baker because Christ was hung on a tree in our place. God doesn't leave us guessing whether he will show us mercy or not. We're not like the cupbearer and the baker hoping that one day our ruler will show us mercy. With God, we know exactly how he'll show us mercy and that is in Christ. We can have full assurance of salvation if we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are secure and we will never be forgotten. My third point, the forgotten man. Verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Well, it's three days have passed and it's Pharaoh's birthday. And so he makes a great feast to celebrate the day. Also seems like a good day for an execution. Apparently, ancient rulers loved doing this kind of thing. Now, Joseph's interpretation came true just as he said it would. The cupbearer was restored to his position, but the baker was hung. 
There is no rhyme or reason with these ancient rulers. One strange trend amongst ancient rulers is their strange desire to uh, execute people on their birthday. Apparently, it was a little birthday present to themselves. Whenever their birthday came around, they would execute people. Uh, Mark 6 recounts the tale of how on King Herod's birthday, John the Baptist was beheaded. You can read Mark 6 if you like. Uh, Hosea 7.5 even mentions how kings and princes love to do stupid stuff on their birthday, like get wasted and then in the morning have a little bloodbath, you know, something that normally happens after a birthday. Uh, Hosea 7.5-6, he says, On the day of our king, the king's birthday, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with mockers, for with hearts like an oven they approached their intrigue. All night their anger smolders. In the morning it blazes like a burning, uh, flaming fire. The Emperor Nero was well known for, at his birthday parties, crucifying a bunch of Christians and lighting them up as candles for his bloodthirsty feasts. These men were out of control and a dangerous place to be. Now imagine for a second you're the cupbearer. There you are on Pharaoh's birthday and you're looking at the baker you spent all that time in prison with and he is hanging right in front of you by your master, Pharaoh, that you see every single day. Now, you'd be tiptoeing around it, bringing walking on eggshells to like a whole new level, uh, trying to talk and uh, uh, hang out with Pharaoh. Would you bring Joseph up right away? I know I wouldn't. I'd be like, whoop, zip my lip, don't say anything dumb. Just get out of here alive. That's what I would be thinking. And I'm sure this is exactly what the cupbearer is thinking. I'll bring up Joseph later. When, when Pharaoh's in a better mood, when he's in a better mood and things are going a bit well, I'll say, hey, by the way, there was this prison he gave me, prisoner, he gave me a favorable interpretation. He's a pretty cool guy. Maybe you should let him out of prison. No, doesn't say that. Days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months and months turn into years and the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. Here's the end of our story. Verse 23, a sobering line. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. He languished away, forgotten. Joseph's plan to get himself out of prison failed miserably. His kindness towards his fellow prisoners was not repaid. I mean, what was God doing? Imagine you're Joseph right now. Has God forgotten me? Why am I here? For years, I diligently worked as a slave. Even though I once was the wealthy son of Jacob, I'm a Hebrew, an Israelite, a free man. Here I am in prison, languishing. He worked hard only to have this woman lust after him. And when she was rejected, she retaliated by throwing him in prison. It's like that old phrase, right? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Even here, working hard for the prison warden, he's only to be forgotten by the men that he helped. Thirteen long years. We read this passage and we know God is with Joseph, don't we? Because it tells us that God prospered everything he did, that God's favor was upon him, and that everything he did had success. But did Joseph know that? I don't know. My feeling, my intuition says that he doesn't. That he doesn't know it. 
He might be thinking to himself, is this the plan that God has for me? To languish away as a slave, as a prisoner. Did all my dreams years ago about the bushels bowing down to me, about the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowing down to me, did that mean something completely different? Was that prophecy meaning that something weird was going to happen, but not what I hoped? Would he ever even see his family again? And in desperation, Joseph briefly puts his trust in the cupbearer only to have been let down by him. Matthew Henry says, we cannot expect too little from men, nor too much from God. Our trust in other people should never supersede our trust in God. We will be let down by people, even the most well-meaning of people, even the people that have our best interests in hearts can still let us down. In fact, they do let us down. But know this, you will never be let down by God. Never. God will come through for Joseph. Not in our passage today, but next week we're going to see that God has not forgotten Joseph. Everyone else has forgotten him. His family has moved on. Potiphar's moved on. Potiphar's wife's moved on. The cupbearer's moved on. But God has not moved on. God did not forget him. Like Joseph, our circumstances can make us feel forgotten. They can make us feel like God doesn't care or that he's not going to act. But God has promised to never leave nor forsake us. Listen to Romans 8, 35 to 39. Some of the most beautiful words ever penned in all of Scripture. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How amazing. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Have a go thinking about things. Tick them off that nothing can separate you. There is nothing you can write down on that list that can separate you, whether it's imprisonment or distress or tribulation or persecution or death. Nothing. The only thing that can sustain you through some of the most horrendous and horrific suffering is the love of Christ. If you do not have this, you will not make it through. If you do not have Christ, you are without hope in this world. Christ is the only reliable thing, the only trustworthy and constant hope that can never be threatened. It can never be taken away. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Christ won it all. He conquered on the cross by giving his life for us, that we can have assurance and peace in a world of fear and chaos. Know this, when you read Romans 8, God has not forgotten you. He's as committed to you as he is to Joseph. He is committed to you as he even is to his son Jesus. Whether you believe or don't believe, it wasn't you who loved God. It was God who loved you. He came down into this filth and brokenness, not to condemn, but to redeem. Came down to rescue. He welcomes in all. And when we have come in, we are eternally secure in his love. We will not be forgotten in Christ. 
Let's pray. Our Father, sometimes we need this word so badly that we can feel insignificant and off to the side as events occur completely out of our control. And Father, in our sinfulness, we can try to wrangle these events and work them out in our own way and toil with anxious hands trying to correct things that are happening in our lives, not recognizing, Lord, that you are the only sovereign one, that you are the only one in control and that you will fix things and do things in your time as you see fit and as you will. Father, often we are like Joseph and we place our trust in the cupbearer, hoping that some cupbearer, some man, some woman can come in and fix all our problems, not realizing that it is you and you alone, Lord, who provides the way out. And so, Father, I pray that we will remember today that we are not forgotten, that we are dearly loved, and that we were purchased and won by the blood of your son, Jesus, and that through him, we are more than conquerors in whatever situation we find ourselves. We praise you, Lord, for the example of Joseph. There are many things here for us to learn. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.